Welcome to the Lady Palace Podcast. We are your hosts, Bella and Amanda. We're just a couple of gals who are on a mission to shake up the status quo around women's health. Come and delve into the depths with us as we start the conversations to empower, educate, create change and connect you back home into your lady palace. Now it's up to every woman to know what's inside of the ovaries, the womb, every part of her vagina. They different sizes, shapes and all colors. Life starts from a yoni, straight from our mothers. Sex. Fertility. New creation and the taboo. Let's start a conversation. Your yoni is your homie, so lift her up higher. Ladies, say you're proud. I love my vagina. Woman, power, goddess, flower, lady, palace, clit, clit, womb. I'm a woman and my body is a temple. And my yoni is connected to my mental. Alright, it's the Womb Tang Clan with Bella and Amanda. Welcome back to an episode of the Lady Palace podcast. In this episode, we interview the divine Jane Hardwick Collins, who is a midwife, teacher, writer, and menstrual educator. Jane is an agent of the goddess, helping women remember the importance of being connected to their body and their menstrual cycle. Jane gives workshops in Australia and internationally on mother and daughter spiritual practice preparation for menstruation and the sacred dimensions of pregnancy, birth, and menopause. Jane is also a co-founder of Hygieia Health, a not-for-profit with a mission to create freestanding birth centers and fund home birth. This was an incredibly important episode where we discussed how to claim back our sovereignty as women and teach others how to take back their power too. In a world where freedom is a luxury, we chat about how this is actually our birthright through all of the phases of our life, from our first menarche to our first sexual experience, pregnancy, birth, and menopause. These should all be on our terms. It is our responsibility as a collective to not only fight, but protect women's rites of passage and keep them sacred. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. Very excited to have you on, Jane. Um, Mans has spoken very highly of you and I've followed you on Instagram for a while and love the work that you do and think, you know, now more than ever, we just need to keep you know, reiterating the messages that you bring home so strongly and in a time where it feels like our freedom, especially as women, is sort of feeling like it's been taken away from us and there's a real disconnection and disempowerment going on. And, yeah, I feel like these conversations are, you know, more important now than ever. Absolutely. And to bring home that grandmother wisdom Um, for the stage that you're in your life now into that autumn phase to really start to thread through this wisdom to our community and to our daughters and to our younger generation so they can start to implement these changes that we've lost. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you both so much for inviting me to your season two and I love the name of the podcast, The Lady Palace. (laughs) Perfect. That's a wonderful... um, term to reclaim and 
and um, use, so very gorgeous. <laughs> we thought it was fitting for today as well because we'll be talking about reclaiming our power back and the mission that you're on at the moment in terms of renaming our anatomy and our body parts. But to kick off, I read your book, Her Story, and I thought it would be really important because I think, you know, there's been turns in history where there's been huge changes and women have been oppressed and suppressed and this is what we're sort of playing out now in this current timeline. So we'd love you to kick off with her story and tell us sort of about the goddesses and and then how it's all changed. Mm. Okay, so... Um just to be clear, I'm not a historian, I'm a midwife, so all of this information is information that I've gathered from reading various books, all of which are in the bibliography at the end of the Her Story. So um, here's the Her Story, just a little picture, mm-hmm. and um, it's really the story, like even the title, right? So Her Story as opposed to His Story or History. But his story equals history, and history is written by the victors, the winners, and it supports what they did. And we know that, you know, we know that history is written in all different ways all around the planet and in different cultures, supporting the dominant culture as opposed to what they did to the in the colonization process. So mm-hmm. this is a um, a piece of work around how the patriarchy has affected the feminine. And women. So just separating those two because the feminine is is uh, something that we all have within us, women and men, you know, the feminine aspect. And that has suffered as uh, women have who embody the feminine. Mm. So um, the story goes that 3,000 years ago or so, you know, like or so, <laughs> that the culture was not the way it is now and it was more of an egalitarian culture agricultural culture where the people had come together and they were living in communities um, farming and feeding themselves domesticating animals and all of that so that took a long time to happen but around 3,000 years ago um, it all started to change so I just want to say it wasn't a matriarchy that then turned into a patriarchy. Mm. It was a matri- matrifocal culture where the focus was on mothers and therefore supporting women in their mothering roles and the children. So that was the focus. That was the um, one of the primary concerns of the community was to support the mothers and babies. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. duh. Right? <laughs> so... That was something that um, changed dramatically and, like, you know, right here, right now in the pandemic, Mm. I was going to say middle, but I hope it's not the middle, but in the pandemic. (laughs) Somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere that um, we're able to see a bit of a um, a reality check of the patriarchy and its values, particularly around mothers and babies by the restrictions that have been imposed. Mm. And so um, here in New South Wales, where I live, and it's a little bit different in other states and it's, you know, different in other countries, but the theme is the same. So just as an example, it was um, uh, 10 people could go to a funeral, five people could go to a wedding, and zero to one could go to a birth. So 
birth and mothers at the bottom, like <laughs> not a priority. Now, I mean, that just breaks my heart and mm. it's breaking lots of hearts right now as we speak, as mm. women having babies uh, may or may not have their partner or main support person be able to even come in <laughs> with them to hospital and we're hearing stories that they are told to leave about an hour later. So, and it's so you know, critical. Not matrifocal, oh, right? No, disappearing numbers. You know, putting them at the bottom of the barrel. So, this all started back when the um, well, as I've written in in the her story. Um, let me just find the page. Around three thousand BC was the time where there were, which is the time of the Bronze and Iron Ages. So we all learned about that in history. History. And <laughs> what about her story? <laughs> goddess cultures began to decline, and goddess cultures were the matrifocal cultures. So they mm-hmm. honoured and celebrated the goddess, and the goddess was the earth. Yes. So not a, not a god in the sky or a goddess in the sky. The goddess was the earth. Mm. And the way the different peoples honoured the goddess and saw the goddess was in how she was reflected back to them through the earth. So, um, And they, they sort of anthropomorphised her, like made her human in mm. uh, the ways that they interacted with the earth where they lived. And the, the best um, example, I think, of that is the goddess Pele, who comes from, say, the um, Hawaiian Islands kind of area, mm-hmm. and she is represented by a volcano. So, like, they they saw the goddess in the earth through the volcanoes and they called her Pele, for example. Yeah. So it wasn't something that was a um, an entity that was somewhere else. It was the goddess was how the people you know, personified the earth and and related to her. So mm. this all began to change and they saw from, like, there's no notes on this, right? Yeah. Nobody knows exactly what happened. But what they can um, figure out from the artefacts and the art of the time and, um, you know, uh, cave paintings and, no, that's a bit earlier, but, you know, the, the way that people recorded what was going on, that um, waves of nomadic Indo-European tribes from Northern Europe and Central Asia descended into Western Europe, the Near East and India. They were a nomadic, warlike people who rode horses and fought with bronze weapons. And they worshipped a father god who ruled from the heavens above and yielded, sorry, yeah, wielded bolts of lightning. So, and their enemies were the people of the mother goddess, which you... and, and that's the pagans. And pagan just means peasant, right? It's yeah. not some weird word. Pagan means peasant. Mm. So, the people who were farming and living in egalitarian agricultural, you know, arrangements were these people, these invaders, enemies. Their enemies were the people of the mother goddess and they invaded, conquered and destroyed the indigenous goddess cultures. They raped and slaughtered them. Their homes were pillaged and burned and their values and beliefs suppressed. The women were enslaved, exploited and exiled, stripped of their positions of political authority and decision-making, taken from leadership roles and the role of the priestess was given no authority. 
Women were disempowered when expressing their sexuality, intelligence, and self-sufficiency. So that's where this all began. Oh my god! You can, it's just a, you can see and, that separation, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Of you know, just like the... it's a really helpful way. Like it's a Buddhist thing, you know. I think the Buddha. Um, so paraphrasing the Buddha says something like, "If you want to understand why you are where you are, look at where you've come from." Mm. So where we've come from, our mother's wounds, yeah, pre- was the egalitarian culture that was matrifocal mm. and um, supporting the ideals and values that supported mothers to look after their babies, basically. So into a place, next culture, the patriarchy, which is, um, so the characteristics of a, of a patriarchy, we call it the patriarchy, but it's a patriarchy. It just means a culture that... Um, elevates the masculine and men to the highest authority and oppresses and suppresses the feminine and women. Now, you know, like we all learned in school um, when women got the vote, right? Like wow, excited yeah. to <laughs> memorise who got the vote, yeah. when, whatever. But, like, the real question is why the fuck didn't we have the vote in the first place? Yes. No, mm. so, and there's still some places where we don't. No, and it's not as if it was like granted to us or just decided one day. Oh, you know what? We're gonna, you know, make this more an inclusive dialogue. Women had to go out on the streets and march, and you know, starve themselves. You know, just do all extremes to try and get recognition. And I feel like that's just still a pattern that we see. It's not something where we're included into the table and, you know, are just open to invitation. We have to try and march for it or fight for it. Yeah, and, you know, and that was the beginning of feminism, those suffragettes, mm-hmm. like fighting for the right to vote. And I feel like it's really important in our day and age that, uh, you know, I, I see and I hear people rejecting feminism and thinking that it means that you're against men. Like, Men, men need to be feminists too. Like we all need to be feminists. And what that means is that we, we, we honor, fight, and promote women's rights. You know? yes. So there are many women who have no rights all over the planet now, and and many of us think we do, and we do. But you know, like it's just not recent, really. and it's not what underpins the culture. Mm. You know? So it's um, really important for us to understand that that's where we came from. Because I feel like even feminism has been overshadowed. Like I don't think people really understand the true definition of what feminine is. And even just saying the word feminism, people are like, oh, Oh, God, you're crazy. You must, you know, not shave your underarms and burn your bras. And it's like all we want is equality. That's right. And not just for us but for women all around the world. I used to live in the Middle East and – um, being exposed to, you know, women oppression at a younger age, you know, grants you gratitude and, you know, privilege from being from Melbourne where it's, you know, a bit more open-minded, but it just makes you realise there's still more work to do and mm-hmm. just, you know, us being granted more freedom doesn't mean that collectively, 
you know, women are free. And I think mm. that's still where the work has to be done. And yeah, I are, agree. Yeah. And the, yeah, the notion of um, feminism as a dirty word, like the new F word, like ridiculous, <laughs> but, you know, anything to do with women or the feminine that's put down, mm. feared, made a joke of, mm. invisibilized, whatever, you know, is a clue that it holds power. Yes. You know, yeah. like if all the women, if all the women reclaimed their power, mm. their sovereignty, mm. and understood the situation, everything would change. Yeah. You know, so like it's so critical that we don't get complacent around these things and that we that we continue to honour, as you said, Bella, the work of the suffragettes who, you know, chained themselves to wherever to mm. get the vote and stuff because the thing that I just want to reiterate here is, like, back in the beginnings of this culture, what happened was that um, women, women were became the property of their fathers or their husbands. The property, you know, yeah. they were um, they were not allowed to be citizens. They um, they weren't even um, so. So, women who had sexual relationships outside the patriarchal monogamous contract were killed contract. as whores. Contract, mm. and um, so women couldn't vote or pass their name on to their children and the ideal love was seen as the love between two men, especially an older and a younger man. Mm. Women were considered unworthy of meaningful emotional and intellectual relationships. Their only function was to bear legitimate children who could inherit the paternal property rights. And, and the origins of matrimony... You know, which means marriage, was that was the only way when that first started that men could get um, possession and control of property because property used to all be in the hands of women and passed down from mother to mother. So <clears throat> we have a long way to come back from and it's, it is... Um, we really do. It is hampered by ridiculous attitudes to to feminism because, um, you know, it, it's just the same as everything in our world. People are so opinionated about things they don't know anything about. There's exactly. No, and there's no equality. We can't just look at another human from their perspective um, because we become so opinionated and then we just lose that commonality or that mm. sense of just being human, of what it is to be human. And I feel like if we were taught, you know, his story as well as her story in school and from a young age and, you know, this wisdom was passed down from generations then, it would be a completely different world that we'd live in because then men could also, you know, feel more connected to their feminine and to their maternal lineage and their sisters, their daughters. It's then just a ripple effect going on from then. Yes. And I think, you know, as well as we want to, like you said before, to empower the women and, you know, reclaim your power, we need to also, you know, men need to be doing the same thing and yeah. not just sitting there silently on the sidelines because yeah. that's just accepting the issue. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and um, there's another piece in our her story that 
um, is like will have affected, you know, in the European world, everybody's ancestors, and that was the witch burnings. So from the 1100s to the 1600s, for four hundred years, no, 1500s, 400 years of uh, killing women. And anybody who got in the way, male, you know, men who supported them or whatever, they met. So, so the witch burnings, the, and that's in all of our past. So for 400 years, it was actually dangerous to be a woman. It was a life-threatening experience because people were, the women were being killed, burnt at the stake. So we, we, we can't not have that somewhere back in our story yeah. and therefore present now because it, it happened before. So, like, there is a lot of, of, uh, a lot of stuff for us to heal from. Oh, hundreds and thousands of years. And that's why it's like when something doesn't feel right for us as a woman, it's like you get that desire, that fight within you and you're like, it does, it's not sitting with me. And I think it's also too because we've lost that connection to our intuition because we've been suppressed for so long. And it's like coming out and connecting back into our intuition that then we start to go, okay, this isn't feeling right. What changes can I make? Mm. Yeah. I just want to say something about the men too. So in this patriarchal culture, like everyone suffered because the only cultures that have survived are also sacrificed their men. So either to war, yes. you know, you've got to go and fight for your country and die. Like, Yeah, that's, and, um, <laughs> there's no sense. That just doesn't make sense. It's like we don't value human life and have we really evolved over these hundreds of thousands of years? I think we're still playing out the same things. Well, yeah, so um, the, the cultures that um, survived um, sacrificed their men to, to war but also to be the provider. You know, like they they couldn't pursue their dreams or whatever. They had to go work for the man or whatever, and so so it's not been something that they got uh, by with ease. It, it, it definitely affected them, but they had the power up, sort of thing. And you know, to be fair, if we read the stories, the evolutionary stories of Homo sapiens, like which is what we are, right? So there were a lot of Homos around the time, Homo variations, and the Homo sapiens. Um, are the ones that survived because they were the bloody most aggressive ones who killed everybody else. So, like, to be fair, that's what Homo sapiens are all about. Right. I didn't know that. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I think that's also, too, um, with the males having that sort of, you know, that story around them having to be the provider, they're just in that masculine energy all the time, not being able to actually connect into their feminine. Yeah, because boys don't cry. Mm. It's, and there's no time to feel and you can't, you know, you can't stop, mm, you can't rest. And it's, it's not sustaining either, no. which is why we're at this current, current crux and this turning point in this lifetime right now. I really liked a few words that you used. I was just having another look over your website before today and saw you use the words wounded feminine and wounded masculine and it just resonated with you know, just the current situation and what we're in, because I feel like, you know, men in, you know, a patriarchal culture can still have, you know, wounds within them and not feel, 
you know, to their greatest potential Mm -hmm. as well as women. But, yeah, I really liked that use of words that, you know, wounded, masculine, wounded, feminine, which we would all have within Mm -hmm. us. Yeah, so, you know, like that's within all of us and and there's so much... um, happening now too within the world around healing these things particularly like we now have a term for the for one version of the wounded masculine called the toxic masculine right you know Mm. like that's um that's toxic within itself isn't it it's just the choice of words the language that we use but you know that version of the masculine that is um is is so fearful that it just fights back or whatever, but there's lots going on about trying to help men um, come back from that and and then, you know, to wear because they haven't been encouraged to feel, you know, mm. big boys don't cry. Like, you know, it's the way we raise our girls compared to the way we raise our boys. It's like so embedded mm. and the wounded feminine, you know, like I can speak more to that because that's really, um, you know, where I am in the in the focus around all the stuff. I think one of the dominant ways we see the wounded feminine is in the wounded sisterhood. Oh, yes. Mm. The wounded sisterhood, what that looks like is, you know, um, women comparing themselves to each other, judging each other, talking behind our backs, taking sides. um, Judging on appearances. So that's the toxic... that, that really is yeah, a toxic, toxic sisterhood yeah. or toxic but, feminine. You know, like that, how that happens is actually a very well-known, um, well, often used war tactic called divide and conquer. Yes. And so I feel like the wounded sisterhood is the result of this divide and conquer thing that has us feeling separate and um worse than, better than, and all that kind of stuff because our original... Um, well, that's how you control as well, isn't it, which is part of the patriarchy. Exactly. It's to keep us at our base level, to keep us not connected to our, you know, amazing selves uh, so that way they can just control us. And, I mean, a perfect example is that of the pill, of, you know, shutting down our biological feedback, our positive mm-hmm. biological feedback because we know that our menstrual cycle, you know, it's a gift. It's our connection to our intuition, to our true nature, um, but to each other as well. And to each mm. other. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's never an accident. It's not an accident. I yeah. think everything is intentional, um, which is mm. what's so yeah, sad. I don't know that I, I don't think there's anyone sitting in a, in a side room planning how to do all of this. <laughs> so I think this is just how we've ended up. Well, isn't that sorcery, you know? That's why women were hung and, and burnt at the stake because it was all about sorcery. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, well you yeah. I think that, you know, basically the another way to look at it is that we live in a capitalist society and capitalism does not honour motherhood. No. It gets the women back to work as soon as possible. So, um, you know, we've been encouraged to want so many things and we have to work so hard to have the money to buy all the things when actually what we really want to be doing is living in community and not living each in a box with our own washing machines and our own this and our own that. It's such a waste of stuff. And the other thing that I want to remind us of is the natural tendency of women 
um, in times of stress, which is, uh, the, it's called the phenomena of tend and befriend. Have you heard of that? No. Okay, so you know the whole thing of fight, and, fight or flight? Mm. So um, the people who discovered that were some um, men doing tests on men about how they respond to stress. And so they watched physiologically and um, hormonally and behaviorally and psychologically to see how men did that. And so they figured out the whole fight or flight or freeze thing. So in response to stress, you either fight or you get the fuck out of there, flight, <laughs> some way or other. You know, yeah. that could look like disassociation. Yeah. Or freeze, which is also disassociation, you know, like mm. it's uh, like what yeah. animals do when they think they're about to be eaten, mm. they play dead. Yeah. So, so they did all this. So then we all learn that fight or flight is what happens. But then a while ago, some women looked at this stuff and they realized they just studied men. And so they started doing studies and research on how women respond in times of stress and so what women do is this thing they call tend and befriend so we come together we look after the children together we make the food we bake and share blah blah, blah. like you know that's not to belittle that that that's about coming together in a group where we're going to be safer and have more power together which takes so, us back to that time that you were saying three thousand years ago where we came together as community. I mean, even when you say that, my heart just starts to expand. Mm. You can feel it, yeah, within you. It's like just an innate, yeah, inherent feeling Isn't it? It's like you. because that's what we, we want to belong together as a sisterhood, as a community. And I think it also then there's the ripple effect about where we've been taken away with our rites of passage where, you know, in especially a lot of Indigenous and tribal communities, when a woman would get her menarch and her first bleed, there would be not just the mother and the grandmother, but there would be a community of women to sit around her, to, you know, shower in love and to teach her the wisdom that's, you know, about to begin. And then same as when we go into pregnancy and birth as well, there's, you know, the communal coming together and, you know, cooking food and nourishing her and, you know, in Ayurveda, they do, you know, the um, communal massaging like the Abhyanga and everyone takes turn in, you know, nourishing the mother. And mm. in, you know, a Western society, that's just, you know, a lovely idea. There's no <laughs> practice of it really unless you have a wonderful midwife or a wonderful doula or a beautiful community of friends. There's just – it's idealistic and I think – you know, it would just be wonderful to know that we would be creating a world where that's possible and that's in the future and whether that's through, you know, passing down of, um, you know, wisdom and um, traditions through our children or, you know, the work that you do as well and banding women together and going, come on, guys, like wake up and let's stick together and start practicing, you know, all of this. And there's no time like the present. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Let's do it. So these times in our lives that you mentioned of menarche, the first blood, first period and, and pregnancy, and then we can include menopause as well. Um, and, and so we all experience these and it starts, so this is called, this is the women's mysteries. This is what the blood mysteries are, our own birth, menarche, first period, 
every pregnancy results in a birth, so pregnant journeys, and, and then menopause. And so what happens at a rite of passage, which is a time in our lives when we transform from one version of ourselves to the next version, never to return to that original mm. version. Like So, for example, you know, once you're born, you're born. You're you know, not going to be unborn. And once you start bleeding, then you become a woman and you don't go back to, to pre-puberty. That doesn't mm. happen. And so these are times when we, cha- we turn into the next version of ourselves. And so... There's more to that than the physical, obviously. There's always more to everything than the physical. More more than we more to everything than we can see and measure. So what happens at a rite of passage is that it creates and reinforces culture. So that's that's what it's about. That's what it's for, really, in, in community. So it creates and reinforces culture on the inside by the mindset that the experience the person going through the rite of passage has and on the outside by everybody conforming to that mindset. So i just give you an example. So um, whatever happens around a, a rite of passage, let's talk about Menark because that's, you know, something that everybody um, or your listeners can probably uh, relate to, but maybe not remember. You know, a lot of women can't remember their Menark and... Um, that's a clue that something must have happened that overshadowed it. You know, like I did a um, did some work with somebody the other day and she couldn't remember a menarch, but she realised that her menarch happened at the same time that her parents got divorced. So there was a lot of, you know, other, other big massive things going on, so it minimised and overshadowed it. So that's just for people who can't, women who can't remember their menarch, that something must have happened, to, so you can't remember it. But what happens is, at a rite of passage, that whatever happens, whatever is said or not said, whatever's done, you know, you talked of honouring and celebrating or not done, and whatever's going on in the environment, like the individual's world, like in their family or in, in the world around them at the time, all of that teaches the girl going through her menarche how her culture values woman the role she's about to step into, how the culture values women, and therefore how to behave to be accepted by the culture. Now, humans need to belong. It's an absolute, like... Mm. A nature desire. It's the way we're wired. Yeah, and so we do whatever we have to do to fit in. And so um, the, the dominant experience around Menarch is not honouring and celebrating and educating the girl about her body and how to look after it. It's more like an initiation into menstrual shame. Mm. It's like, you know... Because that's how our culture values... Because that's how our culture values Menarch. It doesn't value it. It's, you know, periods are seen as something dirty, shameful. It's hidden... It's because our mothers have not been, you know, educated about what it, about these rites of passage. So I feel like in the Western culture, it's something that's just been completely lost. Mm. And you just might be, you know, lucky enough to have a mother who has thought differently or been, you know, a part of a sisterhood or had, you know, an incredible mother herself that said, okay, you know, we're going to make this a really sacred, beautiful time. Or, you know, you could have, you know, 10 years later been like looking down, looking back on your first menarch and, 
you know, you have this wisdom now, but you think, I wish I could go back and have that first experience again. Mm. I think it's just so rare that there's an empowered, you know, young girl. And now we're seeing girls as young as like nine, 10 years old, having their first menarch. That's Mm. not a time in your life when you are naturally empowered and, you know, feeling incredible in your body and wanting to connect, you know, deeply to other women. It's usually you're at, you know, school and, concerned about your body image or you know worried about what other people think of you and you're not even certain of who you are at that age Mm. Mm. and you know we as mothers you just do what was done to you until you figure out you want to do something different you know that's just the way it all works and and most of our mothers would have had mothers who even probably in the main spoke even less about it so Mm. You know, and and where did that all come from? Like the patriarchy, but the religious texts. Mm -hmm. So in the Bible, the Quran, and the Old Testament, and all the all the religious texts have in their um, you know beginnings that women are unclean, impure, dirty when they're bleeding. Men can't lie with them. They're responsible for spoiling crops and souring wine and, like, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that's where that all comes from. Terrific. And it's still so prevalent. Yeah. It's still so prevalent in society. Like, there are still communities who, you know, still follow those extreme religious beliefs and women still have to go off to, um, I know, in a certain part of Judaism, they have to go off to a house and go and bleed together and not be with the men or come in contact with the rest of the community for the whole, you know, one to five days that they bleed. And that's Mm. still today. And that's the origins of the red tent that we're reclaiming now as a sacred place to to retreat and bleed together. But the origins of the red tent are exile. Mm. Mm. It was, was it? Oh, in terms of like women being able to come together and then menstruate together in the red tent. Yes, because they were they weren't allowed to be within the community. So that's how the red tent. I didn't know Mm. that. Yeah. Mm. There's a wonderful novel called The Red Tent by Anita Diamond. That's the um, the retelling of the um, Old Testament from the perspective of the women. Mm -hmm. And it talks all about this stuff. So that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. So um, where we've come from is dodgy as. I mean, what are we even here for at the end of the day? That's kind of the gist of I think that's, women that's are only great for bearing children. That's yet in Western medicine, you know, our uterus is described as a non-essential organ. So at the end of the day, where's the value? So if we're not even valued by our reproductive organs, yet we're valued to bear children, I mean, it's just the disparity is just huge. And I mean, how do we ever kind of bridge that gap back in? Well, that's what we have to do. That's the mission of our time. <laughs> it is. To reclaim feminine knowledge, wisdom and power yes. and live it. You know, we have to live differently. We yep. have to live, live what we want. And so on that, on that little segue in, tell us about your latest mission that you are on in terms of like reclaiming our body, body re- yeah, body yeah. parts. Okay, so um, there are eight particular body parts in our genitalia and our 
um, reproductive system and our breasts that are named after men. So, you know, think about how um, you saw the countries on the map and they've got flags in them that say, this is my land and I've discovered this and I'll make the rules around here. Same thing in our bodies. So there's all these flags in our bodies that have men's names on them. And, and you know, like fallopian tubes, that's named after the doctor fallopia who discovered them. Yeah, that's and Bartholin's glands and uh, the graphen follicle on the ovary, all of these. Pouch of Douglas. Pouch of Douglas. The G-spot is named after a man. That's right. How did he find it? <laughs> so, like, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people think, oh, yeah, whatever. But, it, like, this is this is important because... Language is so powerful. Like, we know that, right? Language, language is, is so powerful. And I, as I say, every word is a spell. It is, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can't. There you go. You won't be able to. Like, you know, <laughs> as soon as you sound. speak it, you create that reality. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we, every time we refer to these body parts, with the man's name, we are speak, reinforcing the spell of colonization and ownership of our bodies by men. Wow. And so how that do is- we go about to change this? Like if there's, you know, young girls listening or women listening who want to impart this on their daughters and their sons, are we changing the names? Well, we're going to have a go. Because Let's do it. Because <laughs> it's also to, if you look at the ancient texts, they, it's like the vagina was yoni. That was the reproductive organs. Like they have all these beautiful, the child of palace, zigong, in Chinese medicine, hence the lady palace, yeah. is that they have all these um, beautiful poetic names with the Sanskrit and then with the characters that represent these centers of alchemy, an alchemy center, which carries mm. our life force. Mm, Yet yeah. here in the West, we put a flag in. It's like, I've named it. I found it. Claim that. And then we've got mm. these names, Pouch of Douglas, yeah, and uterus, vagina. Vagina. Like, vagina means a sheath for a sword. <laughs> wow. The sword of death, remember, we can kill. Our vaginas are powerful. Let's get that right. <laughs> Come right. into my palace. <laughs> I will kill you. Every time we say <laughs> vagina, we are saying that spell. Mm. Ah, a sheath for a sword. Yeah. That's so what we're going to do, well, what we already are doing, is um, with the help of some other amazing women, we've put I've put together a um, a form, and maybe we can include this in in you can share it, Absolutely. or it's on my Instagram page and so and uh, Facebook, and it's called renaming and reclaiming campaign or something like that, and um, we're asking for women to suggest new names, and. There's some beautiful things that have been come up with, and and I mean, what we we're hoping that there'll be some academics who'll take this up and do the research, and we'll get people to write articles that'll go in the main media. I mean, people, have, women have talked about this before, but this appears to be the first time where the invitation to rename yes. has come up. And I was talking about language the other day with my son, and you know. The dictionary comes out with new words every time they publish it. So this is a, you know, this is an okay thing to do. This is this is what we do. Uh, and the other really 
big piece behind it for me, regardless of whatever happens, for us to realise this mm. and to realise that this is part of colonising our bodies, you know, just like the lands, and that when we come up with these nice new words, and I don't mean that in a little, in a belittling way, I mean the powerful new words. Powerful. Every time we think mm. that or say that, that's a counterspell. Yes. You know, that's the new spell. Like just the word cunt, right, which mm. is our genitalia, is mm. the worst thing you can call somebody or something. Mm. Like the word that represents our genitalia is the worst thing in the world. Yes. Now that is an evil spell. Yeah. Oh, it, oh, yeah. we just even even the way that it's the tone of it, the tonality, and, and even like our women are always referred to as cunts. And I did a post the other it's day, so derogatory, where it's like even you know boys calling other boys like oh don't be a little pussy, like oh you're a little, but then that's what people call our yoni. I'm not going to say the v word anymore. <laughs> our yoni. And in it, you know, in a manner of belittling and disempowerment, like, but then we're taught that that's also a colloquial colloquial term for our yoni. So then is, you know, you kind of make that connection, then that's a sign of weakness. That's a part of weakness. If it's, you know, um, calling someone a pussy is like a sign of, you know, someone being weak or afraid, then... Mm you just automatically connect and young people would as well that with because that's the feminine too yeah, it was yeah. like the women are the weak mm. the pussy we're the weak ones yeah mm. so you know maybe instead of pussy it could be tiger or like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> flaming <Human> dragon <laughs> fire breathing dragon yeah so like you know there's so much to reclaim about this and this is our bodies and mm. you know i can't stress enough how how the the spell crafting of naming mm. you know like so the campaign's happening i hope that it in it invokes um a fury yeah. in women at the concept that this is or in, it, what's going on about this colonization and um and and then we can do some reclaiming and it, and it gets, I guess it's also too, because it takes us back to her story of actually giving us, um, you know, some education around our history as women and what's actually happened to us throughout these years to where we are now. And hopefully that invokes that power within to want to make those changes. Yeah. And that, that all that naming happened in, in the 1800s, not, you know, not that long ago, like 17 and 1800s. And before that, it was worse. They didn't even know anything about female anatomy because no. the masculine was the norm and everything was, you know, if you think about, look at the old st statues of women, they're just men's bodies with little round domes where the breasts are. They're, they're not feminine bodies. So, so the feminine body was not understood because it was not known, you know, like they even thought that, um, that, yeah. The clitoris was an aberration and that no pious woman would have a clitoris. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is just, I'm speechless. <laughs> and now we're only just discovering the size of the clitoris. Mm. We were at that workshop, Amanda, when I had that anatomical, uh, I haven't got it here with me here. I'd love to just pull it out. But the clitoris is gigantic. Yeah, it's, it's a, isn't it bigger than a pea? 
bigger than a penis. Yes, <laughs> totally. Because there's so many parts of it. It's got all of Lots these um, legs. The legs, the nerves. Yeah, and and that also brings our attention to the, you know, most often intervention in childbirth of the episiotomy. Mm. It cuts through the clitoris. Yeah. Is that if the women knew that they would not want that? No, absolutely not. Um, and it cuts through the clitoris if they do a medial one, not the straight down, mm-hmm. but to the side. It's there. It is, and that's the way they do it these days. Is but that is that quite rare now in terms of um, you know women having their in, during an episiotomy having their clitoris um, cut through. Because that well, would just be... It's off the side because, yeah. you know, if you think about the vaginas there and the anus is there and there's the perineum, yeah. they mostly do episiotomies now, not straight down, but at there and turn the scissors like that. So, right. like, you know, 4 o'clock or um, 8 o'clock. Uh-huh. Yeah? Yes, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we suffer. We suffer way too much, I think. Um and I mean, it was just easy, even as you were saying, just the whole thing now of like going back to one person at childbirth is that, you know, we we set ourselves up um, emotionally and like going into birth is such a big preparation time. And then when you have that taken away from you um, to be able to know that you don't have that community and your support people around you is that then that takes you into that whole fight or fight response. Um, and mm. then. You know, our essentially our story is set up in our womb, isn't it? And then it's also um, how we enter this world too through birthing. Um, So how gives birth choreographs her mothering. Mm. Mm. Yes. See, it's it's everything is it's everything is interlinked, isn't it? It's Um, the absolutely like we know, you know, we know know from nature everything is interconnected, like. As if it wouldn't be. Like, it's so hubris and dumb to think that, <laughs> that like, we're all just this, you we're know. We're separate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My mind is not connected to my body. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, therefore, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Rene Descartes from it, the Age of Reason. Yeah. <laughs> Even when someone is born, when a child is born, that birth is also imprinted onto them. On a subconscious Ooh. level. So then you even, you know, if your mother has had a traumatic birth experience, that imprint is then, you know, within your subconscious. And as a woman, then do you then hold on to that going into your manner, your first sexual experience, your, you know, when you fall pregnant, subconsciously, if it's driven by fear, mm-hmm. that's inherently then within you. So then we see this like being passed down. So, you know, it takes a lot for someone to be able to stand up and reclaim their power and, you know, go, actually, let's rewrite this story of our lineage. Mm, Absolutely. So much so. And that, you know, that's what I see as preparation for birth is understanding what I would call our red thread or our mother line, our story, like what happened to everybody else before us. And therefore, what are we unconsciously carrying on uh, that is repeating in our rites of passage? Because that's where the red thread trauma plays out when we transform into the next version of ourselves. And that's the place where we can do the inner work to change the story. Mm. And that's what you do. That's what you do in your courses as well, isn't it? Mm. Bring consciousness to the rites of passage. Mm. And they're not a curse. So (laughs) if you had a... 
if you had a like a traumatic birth, and if you had so so if you had a traumatic birth, what it does is set up a um, a, a pattern, a theme, like a um, you know an energy, say that that plays out every time you birth something. Like it doesn't mean if you had a traumatic birth that you're going to give birth traumatically, but it will be like what you said, Bella, you take that message or theme with you. But we play out our birth stories every time we birth something, like in the creative act. So if anybody doesn't know um, how their birth story is impacting them, then they should pay attention to how they do things creatively. And it may even mean in making a meal or it could be any any sort of action that we need to lean into. We play out our birth stories each mm-hmm. time. So, and again, it's not a curse. It's a pattern to learn to work with. Yeah. And it'll have gifts and gold in it. That's and I've actually found that um, my birth pattern is um, what I need to how I need to live in my menopause to be able to heal um, heal the story that I live of going fast all the time, for example. Mm. And the other thing about um, imprinting at our rites of passage, and we we do have the opportunity to heal them, so particularly our menarchs. So I really want to stress this. So the idea, we can, we can all heal our menarchs, those of us who need to, by recalling the story, so, uh, you know, write the story out. And uh, it's not just what happened when you saw the blood on your undies. Like, for example, in a situation we're seeing the impact of COVID on childbirth by mm-hmm. it being, you know, affecting how much support a mother does have or whatever have. So, so what's going on in the outside world also impacts the rite of passage. Mm-hmm. But for those of us remembering our menarch, write the story out and then figure out within that story what that taught you about being a woman, mm. what that taught you about how the culture, what, it, what the culture values in women. And, you know, like it's about be quiet, don't make a fuss, um, keep it to yourself, carry on regardless, business as usual, don't rest, don't show the weakness, and yeah. whatever you do, don't leak or you'll shame us all. Mm. So... You figure out what it taught you about being a woman and then the theme that that initiated and has been playing out all your life to see the effect and then create a new message for your maiden. So Mm -hmm. rather than being a woman is shameful or, you know, hide, you need to hide, blah, 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 a new message like... Your body is magnificent. You deserve to take up all the space you need, like blah, 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 whatever. And then rewire our brains with that. You know, we know about rewiring our brains. We need to rewire our brains with a positive story to our inner maiden about being a woman because that inner maiden does never go away. She's always there and usually she's in the driver's seat most of the time in her most wounded form. Mm. So she needs an update on, on how what being a woman means and, mm. and everything will change then. That's beautiful. I'm going to go and do that right after this. I'm just thinking back <laughs> to my first bleed and what that was like and going to go and rewrite that story because we have that power. And, yes, mm. you know, we have things happen to us in life and, you know, all different things can, especially to a woman, you know, with the rites of passage, but it's not 
you know, disempowerment, we can go back and rewrite that story and literally put pen to paper and rewrite that. And that then it's, you know, like a scientifically proven thing that if you, you know, then start to rewrite that, you then start to perceive that as reality. And that is your, you know, new story and your new reality going forth. So I think that, you know, for all the women that are listening, that's just a gentle invite for you to, mm-hmm. yeah, start to do And also well. it's good preparation for birth because how our menarchs impact how we give birth yeah. because she who was initiated into womanhood at the altar of menarch is the woman who shows up to the birth altar to give birth completely enculturated in how she's supposed to behave mm-hmm. as a woman to be accepted by the culture. You know, and that's not saying to someone, what, what are you doing? You can't do that to me. Oh, don't worry. I know your, I know your body better than you. You know, like, <laughs> how could you? How have we heard that so, so many times? You know, there's another piece that um, Sharon Maloney, a Queensland um, um, academic and women's health care uh, provider, she did a PhD on menstrual shame and she said that menstrual shame was one of the main organising principles of the patriarchy in the oppression of women. Mm. And if you go into childbirth thinking that, you know, so menstrual shame leads to body shame. Yes. Body shame leads to all manner of wounded behaviours including um low self-esteem, self-harm, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, blah, 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 blah. And we are encouraged to reject our menstrual cycle. We're even encouraged to suppress it. Oh, why have it? Just keep taking the pill. Yeah. So um, if we reject our menstrual cycle, we reject our body. Yeah, we're rejecting ourselves. We reject our body, we reject ourselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you go into childbirth thinking that your body is unpredictable and a bit of a, um, you know, something that just causes you pain and discomfort and inconvenience, then childbirth will be affected by that perception. Because that is your belief. Yeah, That's your belief about your body. Mm. It hurts me. It's, you know, it's it's gross, uh, you know, whatever. Like I'm just pulling Which, But that's the, the thing, end, isn't it? It's the I mean. theme that plays out and then that continues to yeah. play out. And as you were saying, that carries through all our rites of passage, even the way that we look when we um, go through our rites of passage into menopause. Is it if we're shameful about our periods, how do we feel about actually, you know, honouring our old age? And instead we, we neglect it, we reject it, and we're just rejecting those deepest part of ourselves, which I think is really sad because we're missing out on creating the most intimate, deep relationship with self and changing those patterns and evolving to be, you know, our most amazing versions of ourselves, which is our birthright, because that's what happens. Like when you look at a child, they are just that pure divinity. That is like the, you know, pure consciousness. And I think that's what we all are. But the patriarchy have done a great way of suppressing that and creating these themes and stories around the way women should behave and the way we should be. And, yeah, it's time that we actually claim our power back and and change and rewrite our own stories. And through rewriting our own stories, if we were to all do that consciously, collectively, there would be start to be a huge shift yeah. Let's say there will be. There will be. There There's will. going to be. There already, the is. There, there already is. There already is. So yeah. 
That's it. We're going to get all our listeners to rewrite your story, rewrite yes. your monarchy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just starting from there is like awesome. Huge. And then what we should do is we should get together. Okay, and we're going to get together and, cr- and do a bonfire and do a gathering. I want to do a gathering. Let's do a gathering together when we can all get together. Mm. Jane, are you up for this? And we can bring together thousands of women. Yes, Let's please. do it. Yes, yes. And everyone can have their stories written and then, you know, we can throw them into the bonfire and then have our new stories that we hold with us and that's what we take away, yes. like written yeah. and down. And step forward, step forward into the circle and and speak the new message to our maiden and we crown ourselves and oh it's got goosebumps yeah let's do it and then we can be all there chanting our body parts yes Yes. (laughs) yep well we can create a spell spell over our bodies (laughs) yes Yeah, and it can be fun and a celebration, you know, like a reclamation doesn't have to be a war. No, 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 that's it. It We're over that. And that's not our natural ability. Like you said, like we want to, you know, tend and, you know, come together and that's how we're going to show you know, show up in this new world for our younger generations. Yeah, and that's the way that we're going to do it. There's no, you know, like you said, like no wars, no, you know, anything bad it's all just about coming together and you know that's how we'll just show them so mm. make so re- re- rewriting our menarch stories but also honoring our blood yes. like it's not a toxic waste product no. it's actually a <laughs> sacred opposite. you know a sacred fluid it's actually one of the body fluids that has the most stem cells in it I know. Isn't that incredible? It's our body is regenerating mm. constantly and it's got the most vital stem cells within it. <laughs> and it's also too like women carry one mitochondria that's different to all the male mitochondria in our eggs to carry on the species. That's how powerful we are. And they know that. They've known that all along. <laughs> and- so yeah. that's why we should all get together and go back to the days of the red tent and bleed back into Mother Earth because mm. our menstrual blood is like water. It's the tears. It's connecting mm. us back and to the, Mother Earth. And the Earth is expecting our blood. Yes. She's expecting our we and our poo and our blood and our placentas and our bodies. Mm. But where else are they supposed to go? Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a re-honouring then also of nature. And connecting back into, yeah, you know, the nature around us, whether it's just a park down the road or driving Mm. down to the beach and a way of then, you know, taking us out of like the hustle and that just constant, you know, going for more and fast paced society and connecting back in, you know, pouring your blood if it's in a cup into a tree and sitting with that tree and just reconnecting to, you know, this tree that's, reciprocity the giving the giving and receiving yep Yep. um and even when we look at a placenta and we put it onto paper um i ate my placenta um is that it's the tree of life Uh, it's you know so we're just we we all and all parts of us are just the reproduction and reflection of all the patterns in nature yeah and the most 
I've been doing some reading about this and the, the dominant pattern in nature, mm-hmm. and so we are nature, right? We don't visit nature, we are nature. We're the human part of nature. The dominant pattern in nature is networks. Which is like in Chinese medicine, that's our meridians. It's our communication to the way we are to the external environment. So all our external meridians, large intestine, they're on the, all on the outer like parts of our body. So it's like they're on communicating with the external environment then to maintain homeostasis within, um, which I think is just fascinating because we are a network, isn't it? And everything is frequency and energy. And so that network is connecting to your network mm. instead of connecting to the network of a computer. Well, that's <laughs> why we've lost it. When women, you know, gather together and are together for a period of time, like I lived in a boarding house for the last three years of school, our cycles would always sync up. And we were like, wow, like isn't that a, had no idea that there was a deeper, you know, meaning behind it and why this was all happening. But, yeah, astounded. And it just goes to show that, you know, there's always something deeper within us that is going to connect us together as women. And it doesn't have to feel logical or make sense, mm-hmm. but just, you know, knowing that innate wisdom resides within us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's incredible. And that we're, that we're miracles. Like we're beyond understanding. Now there's the way that we work, you know, all the parts of us, the the current understanding will not be what it actually is. You know, there will be, be we can't even, we don't even know how to understand. Mm. Like the fact that we have receptors on our nipples yeah. that detect the baby's saliva when we're breastfeeding for whatever germs there are in the baby's mouth, and then that sends a message to the brain to send the appropriate antibodies through the milk for that baby at that moment. Like you know. The intelligence, and that is the great intelligence, isn't it? And it's like, as you were saying, it comes back to the great mysteries. Like science is not meant to know this. <laughs> uh, this is left up to the universe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we are amazing, really, aren't we? When we we're so amazing. We're so amazing. (laughs) We're as amazing as amazing can be. We so are. Um, Okay, so on that note, Bells, what is the question that we ask? Because we're back into season two, and I've actually forgotten because I'm day eighteen in my cycle right now. I'm currently (laughs) in my autumn phase. So, how we (laughs) like to wrap up our podcast, and this is a very idealistic question. But if you could... I hope I can answer it. Are you? (laughs) Yes. You're amazing. (laughs) If you could, you know, sort of, you know, glance into the future and you could see the world through your eyes and how you would like it to look, what things you'd like to be in place. I know you could probably go on for ages and tell us, you know, about all the details, but what would essentially your ideal world look like? Well, um, I don't know what it's going to be like with all the technology advancements that are going to happen. So I don't think that we even know what it's going to be like. But what it has to be like for the survival of us is that we need to reconnect to the earth, you know, Mm -hmm. like we really need to um, find our way back into the ecosystem as part of it and... um, and there's a practice that I 
I uh, suggest people, I'm sorry all that dinging's happening, I don't know what's going on, but it's, it, whenever things like that happen, I always think, um, okay, this is, this is um, a sign that it's important what's happening now. The universe. So basically what I suggest mm-hmm. to people is that they uh, ponder the question uh, that could be uh, asked of them by their great-great-grandchildren. So if we had the honour and privilege of meeting our great-great-grandchildren and imagine them saying to you, great-great-grandma, what did you do back in those days just before everything went wherever it goes or just when that when there was that moment in time when things could be done, what did you do to make sure everything would be okay for us? That's a really great way to reframe that, isn't it? I think yeah. everybody should be asking that thinking. now. You know, yeah. we need, like it's not that's not a new thing either. It's what the indigenous cultures do. It's just our capitalist patriarchal culture just is so fixated on um, capitalism. Yeah, youth and beauty and achievement and twenty four seven availability and you know blah blah blah. But um, we need to. And the way there to answer that question is to to start yesterday living an earth-honouring and respectful life. And it tickles my fancy so much that the clues for how to do that are hiding in plain view in the menstrual cycle. Mm. So the inner seasons, you know, you said, Amanda, you're in your autumn. So, like, you know, you don't go and start... Um, a whole new project in autumn you're, you're cleaning up from the harvest yeah. you're reflecting on how life is right now rather than trying to avoid the current moment and think of new things you in the in the inner autumn you're reflective and looking at at the results of the cycle so far and then the bleeding phase is the winter it's not the time to go running around wearing tight white clothes and going mountain climbing or horse riding, you know, like the tampon ads say. But, you know, so honouring the menstrual cycle is the way to start all of this for women. But in an ideal future world, what I would hope for is that there is plenty of food, clean air and clean water and uh, safe safe places for everybody. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's a utopia, and, isn't it? Yeah, and that existed once upon a time. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you know this theme of this conversation about coming back home and coming back to our bodies and back to our true nature. You know, that's where we want to go with all of this as well. Is just coming back to that true nature in nature as well as us. And mm-hmm. you know, I think that. It is possible if we will it into reality and, you know, it just takes, you know, a few women to gather a few more women who gather their friends and their sisters and mothers and include the men and, you know, I'd like to think that we'll get there. Same. Mm. Yeah. Back to tending to ourselves. We must. It is actually our responsibility of regardless of whether we do or we don't, this is what we need to do, you know, because we – we, we're actually, um, we, it would be remiss of us to not notice that the situation we are in right now is actually the dystopia. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, we're, at a, tur- so, we're at a turning point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, that can be very depressing mm-hmm. 
and um, uh, energy zapping and all that kind of stuff. So we need to we need to cultivate hope. Yeah. And hope, as Florence of Florence and the Machine said, <laughs> hope is a doing word. Mm, it really is, isn't it? So we have to do all these things, like what you were just saying, Bella, you know. We can't just sit back on our asses and blame other people, you know. We've got to get up and make make our lives and the world into the way that we want it to. Now, like... Enrich it, enrich like. it how you can in your own home. And exactly. that's it. It doesn't have to start out by you, you know, wanting to go out and change the world. All you have to do is change, you know, your world and your home and your small circle and from there like that's where the ripple effect starts that's uh, as you were saying dismantling patriarchy has to start on the inside Mm. because we have all internalized the patriarchy it's no good smashing the patriarchy and still having the beliefs that underpin it within us so you know all these things we've talked about honoring our bodies our cycles the earth etc etc is is how we dismantle our internalized patriarchy Mm. and also i think one of the easiest ways to notice our internalized patriarchy is to notice all the bad things we tell ourselves about ourselves Mm. and just get those voices the fuck out of there and say sorry you're not welcome totally Mm. yeah Positive yeah. affirmations. Yeah. <laughs> Change the frequency. Yeah. Change mm. your thought patterns. Yeah. I yeah. am enough. I am whole. Mm. I am worthy. Mm. I am beautiful. And probably because, like you were saying, like something that we have on loop in our minds that's negative about our bodies or ourselves was probably told to us by man or, <laughs> you know, we have interpreted from the patriarchy And even I was speaking to someone on the phone um, the other day and he was like, oh, thank you, dear. Like, oh, just that belittling. And I was like, please don't call me dear. Like, I am not your dear. Like, I was just like, that feels wrong. Like Condescending. Yeah, and it's just like that older, like, old man trying to tell a girl, like, what to do. Like, no thanks. (laughs) So, like, just, yeah, small little day-to-day things. Get your menstrual cup, put it into your plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let's start to write our story. Yeah. Our story. Sounds mm. like a plan. Yeah. 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 Love it. It's our responsibility. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, I mean, and yeah. even just for next year, like, next year I'm going to be, I've got, you know, my regular cycle. So, when I'm menstruating, I'm not working those a couple of days when I'm bleeding because I actually just want to take the time out and just sit and be. I'm sit, you know, I'm at the point now I'm, I'm over pushing. I've got to change the ways and actually start to live within the cycles and the seasons. Um, just We've made it a thing also to not record when we're bleeding because we don't articulate what we want most of the time we're like what will we what are we saying <laughs> my blood's in my uterus yeah and so on that note what day are you in your cycle and then jane will ask you i'm day 13 so i'm coming Ooh, up you're to about my to ovulate. yeah coming up <laughs> no to my... you look so gorgeous <laughs> Coming She's up always my, gorgeous. <laughs> coming up to my summer or, you know, just about to enter my summer. So feeling all the summer vibes in cold, wintry Melbourne. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is always, always great. And what, your day 18, so in your oh, autumn. Autumn. Okay. Starting to, you know, slow things down, lots of reflection. And, Jane, where are we? Where are you for our listeners that don't know? 
I'm post-menopause. Yeah. So my cycle is now the lunar cycle. Mm. So we're at the, we're in the waning moon and your cycle's probably connected to the, um, synchronized with the moon because that's about where it is now. Oh, yes. I tend to bleed on a new moon and then ovulate on a full moon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so following those lunar cycles. So is that what happens in menopause? You still follow, but you follow the lunar cycle. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So you still sort so of have those energy changes. Have a cycle. Their yeah. cycle is the lunar cycle. <sighs> oh, there you go. I love, I love it. Oh, yeah. so much wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Jane. Thank you so, <laughs> so much. This is oh, my pleasure. Thank oh, you for doing wonderful. this wonderful work. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.